So you are not a libertarian, you say. You're an objectivist. And if you can explain to me the difference, I will uh, I will change the title of the stream. If you can't do it in a satisfactory way, though, I'm keeping it the same, Dan. What's the difference oh, between man. a libertarian and an objectivist? Pressure is on. Okay. There are a couple things I'll mention. So first of all, objectivism is an entire philosophy discovered by Ayn Rand. So there are five basic branches of philosophy, metaphysics, epistemology, ethics, politics, and aesthetics. And Ayn Rand has distinctive views in all of those branches. And libertarianism is usually just considered a political philosophy. So um, it doesn't necessarily have anything distinctive to say about metaphysics, the basic nature of reality, or epistemology, the basic nature of knowledge. Um, or aesthetics. It's it's mostly associated with a political viewpoint. So objectivism is a much uh, broader sort of philosophy than just a, just a political philosophy. So that's one difference uh, between objectivism and libertarianism. Another important one is that many people think of libertarianism as endorsing anarchy, and objectivism is very much opposed to anarchy. We think that there should be a government. We're not anti-state. Uh, we just think that these, the government should have a, a very limited role. In particular, it should only have uh, the function of protecting individual rights, which in Ayn Rand's view means protecting individuals from physical force. So there should be a police force. Would you say to... liberty is pretty important? objectivists uh definitely yeah it, it, i mean it has to be explained what exactly liberty means but um basically i don't know yeah, dan i don't know i feel like i f i mean i don't know i've never thought of libertarians as anti-state i mean obviously there's anarcho-capitalists out there in the world running around but libertarians uh i mean libertarians are generally in favor of a small state right not usually not anti-statist or anarchist in general but that's that's just my experience, but it's, I mean, I don't know. It sounds like, uh, I mean, I don't know. It sounds like if you were voting for politicians, you might vote for the libertarians. Uh, I, I have never voted for a libertarian. Ayn Rand actually had some pretty harsh words for people who called themselves libertarians. There's a, there's a site called the Ayn Rand Lexicon, which uh, if you go to it, uh, you can look up the term libertarian and see what she had to say about people who call themselves libertarians. She used the phrase hippies of the right somewhere wow. to, to, to describe people like that. And I think sure, um, sure. she thought that they were kind of leeching off her philosophy, taking one aspect of it out of context, the non-initiation of force principle, and then calling that an axiom, and then trying to build a, uh, a political philosophy with that as the foundation. But... Um, I don't know the percentage of libertarians who are anti-state and who are pro-anarchy, but I think it's a significant percentage. Um, and I think there are some who favor, I've heard, favor lowering age of consent laws so that you can have sex with children. <laughs> and if well, you sure, don't have yeah. such laws, then, or if you do have such laws that prohibit that, then you're interfering with freedom as they construe freedom. So I say I would say that's a pretty significant well, difference. Well, sure, yeah, yeah, but I don't I don't think that's a mainstream like ideological push of the libertarians. I mean, you got these Republicans in Tennessee saying we should have child marriage, right? But that's I wouldn't say that like 
oh, if you if you call me a Republican, you're in you know transitively saying I'm in favor of child marriage. It's like, no, I mean that's that's probably not fair, right? So I don't know. I, I think uh, I I think it. I don't know. To me, I get what you're saying. Like your initial explanation made sense, but I think that you're kind of strawmanning what libertarians are using kind of using the painting the whole ideology with its worst examples, right? And I, I don't know if that's fair for anyone. Well, I, I think there are definitely different uh, sorts of libertarians. I mean, it's it's a label, and many people use this label to describe themselves. But I, I think many people who use the label have. I think there are very big differences between um, all the people who use this this term. So I'm not sure how useful a term it is, given that I think there are radically different positions that people who use this term subscribe to. So, well, hey, I, I mean, you know, Phil, Phil Scott and Marjorie Taylor Greene are both Republicans, right? But I mean, they have incredibly radically different views on how to govern. Joe Manchin and AOC are both Democrats, right? But they still have, you know, radically different views. Um, and so I don't know. I, I think, um, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Um, and, uh, I'll consider it. I'll consider changing the okay. title. This is, this will be a video later, but we'll see. Um, okay. Uh, but anyway, so, but you wanted to talk. So this has been a bit of a, a, a you could say, a objectivist libertarian sort of, you know, say low, low, you know, less government streak that I've been on. I talked to Fabian Liberty, who's an anarcho-capitalist. I talked to Larry Sharp, who's a libertarian running for governor of New York. And now I'm talking to you, Dan, and an objectivist. And you wanted to talk about I guess, you know, yeah, the government or the role of government or objectivism or whatever it is. And so, you know, what do you, what, what do you thought? Why am I wrong? Right. What's, what's wrong with the stuff that I advocate for and why would you advocate for, for different things? Okay. Uh, there's, let's see. Um, so what, as to what I advocate for, I started saying uh, a while ago, uh, as to what I think the government should be doing and uh, then we went off another another branch, but let me get back to that. So I think there are basically three things that the government should be doing, and um, they all fall under the general principle of protecting individuals from physical force, because I think it's only physical force that can be used to violate the rights of individuals, and I think the government's role is to protect individual rights. So um, to protect individual rights, the government needs to protect individuals from physical force. So that means it should have a police force to protect people from criminals, domestic criminals. And it should have a military, that's the second thing, to protect uh, individuals in the country from foreign threats of force, invaders, and so forth. And then it should have, thirdly, a court system to peacefully settle disputes among people so that you don't just uh, have uh, vigilantes going around and you know, making uh, rash, emotionalistic decisions as to what they think justice consider, uh, consists of. Rather, you have a, a an objective procedure, which is peaceful, and that's, that's a way of extracting force from society. But that's it. That's basically the only things the government should, should be doing. It should not be doing uh, uh, taking money from some people and giving it to others, redistributing wealth, in other words, via taxation. Uh, so anything funded by taxes is funded by coercive means. So all the public education, Social Security, Medicare, all these programs uh, should be abolished, in my view. Uh, they're all a violation of people's rights to their own property, to use their money as they choose to use. If you want to you know, voluntarily help somebody out, 
by uh, donating money to them to pay for their education or healthcare. You're free to do that, but there's no right to force somebody else to do that with their money. Yeah. Well, how so, do you how um, do you fund the where where does the money for the police and the military and the court come from? All right, glad you asked. <laughs> I have a video exactly on that that question uh, on my YouTube channel. Um, Dan Norton one youtube.com slash Dan Norton one. If anyone wants to check out my YouTube channel, or you can also search for the selfishness project. That's an easy way to find it. Cause I have a lot of videos on the topic of selfishness, which Ayn Rand is famous for advocating, but she has a distinctive view of what selfishness means, which I talk a lot about on my channel. So, um, as to how government functions, um, the very few that there would be. So that, that's one thing, first of all, it'd be very easy to fund the government cause it's, be, it's doing so little. Um, but the, the little that there is for government to do would be funded. It could be funded in a variety of ways. Donations is one, uh, obvious, uh, method. It's in the interest of people generally to have police, military and court system. It's, it's a way of protecting their rights. So I think it's many people would be voluntarily willing, including myself to chip in, to help that also lotteries. And historically, I think lotteries have been used in some places to help fund functions of governments. Ayn Rand has an article in her book, The Virtue of Selfishness. It's called Government Financing in a Free Society, where she discusses various ways of funding the government. One Wait, what in do you mean by lottery? I don't understand. What do you mean the lottery is a way a government could get money? Uh, the, the state could just run a lottery and people could um, buy tickets with the hope of winning the lottery. And then, you know. They get a certain percentage, whoever the winner is, and then the rest goes to fund government functions. Okay, sure. So that's that's one other way uh, some revenue could be drawn. Um, Ayn Rand has an idea she discusses in this essay I mentioned, Government Financing in a Free Society, where she says uh, you could pay the government to enforce contracts. That could be another way. So you know, people could you know draw up contracts between themselves and they could both sign their names on it. But if you actually want to have the government enforce it, you could pay a fee to the government uh, in order to have that contract enforced in case that you think it's been breached. And the, so the payments to enforce contracts is another way uh, government might be funded. Uh, someone actually has mentioned, I'm not sure where I first heard this, but um, that the money the government gets could be invested and then like in an in the stock market or in a, in a mutual fund or something. And then it could just survive on the interest. The, the, the amount of money the government would need would be so small that um, it could just sur survive on the, or it would have enough money just on the interest it gets from doing investing in the marketplace to, to support what it needs. So I don't yeah. think it would be difficult at all to, to uh, finance. The yeah, I'd be very, the I think it'd be very difficult. Um, I mean, if we, if we take, I mean, what I would argue would be some conservative estimates, right? So it's, you know, how much does the, you know, how much does the U.S. spend on its military and police and the court system? You know, we're probably talking about a, you know, a trillion or $2 trillion a year, right? In aggregate. And, you know, that, that is like between what, like $4,500 and $7,500 per person per year, right? And I, I just, you know, there's states that have lotteries, um, as far as I'm aware, you can donate to the government coffers and government programs now if you want. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't think that would represent even nearly the amount of money you would need to fund those types of services. And 
in terms of you know the money that the government gets could be invested i mean i mean i think that you know the best examples of government trust funds will end up getting oh solar pop just subscribe to my channel thanks for that um best examples of governments that are you know investing in money uh, or investing in the market getting returns you know usually you'd expect a return of between four and six percent and that's just not you, know, you need to have so much capital in the first place to like live off of that just that small amount of interest and to be fair you're also describing investing money with the assumptions of a regulated market which we no longer have like you know the market would just be um well, I mean, frankly, there'd probably be a lot of problems with investor fraud in this market with basically no government besides police, military, and courts, right? And so I just, I'm very, uh, very skeptical of this idea. The last, you know, the first thing you mentioned before this is that it's, um, you know, taxes are wrong because they're coercive, but I think we would all, I think that with, within reason, we would all agree that there's some coercion that is, uh, you know, that's okay, right, in society. Would you not agree with that? I would not agree with that, and uh, I'll be happy to come back to that, but I just want to make a couple other points first. Um, I think it's important to bear in mind that the government would be massively uh, smaller than it is right now, so we wouldn't have trillions upon trillions of dollars in debt to cover things like Social Security and Medicare. Uh, we, don't, so we don't take we, on any debt like to cover uh, Social Security and Medicare. There's no debt mm -hmm. taken on. There's not. There's never been a penny of debt taken on to pay for Medicare or Social Security. Well, I'm am ju just talking about the things you would need money to, uh, like Social Security. We have taxes, you know, payroll taxes. Uh, money is taken out of our paychecks to fund things like Social Security, Medicare. Sure. But, uh, and you get it back. There wouldn't be those taxes. I mean, those expenses would all be gone. I mean, you had private versions of um, healthcare and. Uh, saving for retirement, but a lot of like public education, that's another thing, an entire expense that's just not going to exist in the system. So I don't right. think you can just look at what exists today and say, oh, look how much the government is no, spending I, $1 trillion and say, oh, we're going to have to come up with the money to pay for all of that. No, that's not what I said, though. I said if we take a conservative estimate on how much the government spends on just the military, the police, and then all the court apparatus that we have right now, you could make some arguments and say that, well... You know, we wouldn't have, uh, you want to take also an isolationist viewpoint, which like, oh, our military would get cut in, in half and we wouldn't need nearly as many police because there wouldn't be as many laws and the courts would be downsized because we wouldn't have as many laws and government enforcement. It's like, okay, well, let's, I don't know, let's just be really generous, right? Let's just say that all those things cost a trillion dollars, right? Well, you're still talking about like 4,500 bucks per person, right? And I just, to me, I think that, the, the systems that you describe are not mutually exclusive from the systems we have today. You know, things like lotteries and donations and, you know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, gov you know, government investment is something that Social Security and Medicare both does currently, right? And, and there's other sovereign wealth funds on a subnational, national level, right? And these are just, these things do not represent even close to the amount that you would need to fund even a, even a meaningful fraction of the systems by which you advocate, right? Unless you're talking about having military that's literally a hundredth of the size of our current one and the same thing with the police and the same thing with the courts these things just do not you know and, and at that point you'd be talking about probably some structural problems with you know you probably need more military and police than that is basically what i'm trying to say and so um you know you, you'd, you'd be i think you'd be faced with a lot of problems in this uh, society 
Okay. Well, I mean, I, the world that I'm envisioning, envisioning is going to be radically different. So I don't think, I don't know that it's really um, fruitful or realistic to try to uh, imagine it's going to cost certain, certain amounts to fund certain things, because this is just what I'm proposing is, is, is so different. And foreign policy would also be much different than it is well, today. Well, but I, I don't, I don't think uh, that's not a satisfying response, though, because you, you can't just say, well, that seems unsatisfying to me because your your response is basically, well, the society that I'm imagining is so different than society today that all your criticisms don't make any sense. It's like, okay, well, sure, but what, what really what my argument is is that the society that you envision is not realistic to accomplish, right? For for many many like hundreds of reasons, and we've gotten through a few of them. And it seems like if at the end of the day your response is going to be, well, yeah, yeah, like I get that those are practical, you know, implications of what I'm advocating for, but I'm just envisioning something that's so different that we can imagine that it would work. And it's like, well, I don't know. I mean, that's not really, you know, no, it's not very satisfying. What, I've, what I'm advocating is impractical according to what you've shown. Uh, that's, I haven't accepted that. Well, I so mean, we, do you I think mean, it's, it's, it's not, I mean, based on the, you know, some generous funding assumptions, it's, it's not practical that we'd have no, I, I don't think, a safe... I don't, I don't buy these funding assumptions. Well, why, why not? Do you think we could, you think we could extract $4,500 per person per year uh, through lotteries, donations, and, uh, you know, government interest on, you know, on, on the amount of money they have? I, I just, you know, th these, again, these apparatuses exist. Maybe. And they're, they're, well, <laughs> I mean, maybe, right? Maybe the sun won't come up tomorrow, right? But that's that's also not a very satisfying answer to, you know, if we we're debating a physicist right now. So, I mean, I, I don't uh, I, I don't think that any of my objections are unreasonable. I think that what's more unreasonable is to say that, um, you know, yes, we've had, you know, yes, we have lotteries and donations and, uh, you know, government trust funds today. Um, and yes, they only raise, you know, one small fraction of the amount of revenue that the government needs. Um, but in my society, things will just be so radically different that those things that don't work today are going to work in my society. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, the, 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 the society I'm envisioning, it, I mean, it grows over time. So when you start, uh, like, imagine we're uh, 400 years ago and the country is just getting started, Jamestown. And at that stage, the amount of police and military and courts you're going to need is going to be radically smaller than uh, what's needed today when you have a population over 300 million people. So the costs are going to be commensurate with the society. And, you know, as the thing grows, you'll be more capable of sustaining a larger uh, court system, military police, as it becomes necessary. So I think over well, time, I mean, you, you, they can't get out of whack. So there was, um, a lot, there was a lot more lawlessness and anarchy back then, though. I mean, that's kind of what I'm saying is that if, if you know, if, if we're envisioning a world where, you know, the... The military is a tenth of the size that it used to be, and the police and the courts are the same thing, right? I mean, this is a society that's probably got a lot more shysters and uh, lawlessness than we had than we had before, and that's that's kind of what uh, you know, that that that's the the unsatisfactory you know reality that to me you're proposing. I mean, we've we've had worlds with a lot less taxes and government involvement. They sucked, right? And that's why we had you know, no, we no, I, I reformed would say them and the had government involvement. I think there was tremendous progress in the late 19th century, for example, which I think is the closest, late 19th century America, which I think is probably the closest historical example to the sort of society I envision in terms of uh, economic freedom, at least. And that was a society of tremendous progress, maybe the most progress ever um, in, a, in a span of a few decades. 
Um, well, if you it was, consider it was, the increase in life expectancy and standard of living, all the inventions um, that were made, yeah, I mean, steam it, it, engine it was, and so forth. It was a society that was overrun with poverty and crime and had all these systemic problems. No, and it also, eliminated uh, poverty. Also had a banking crisis about every 10 years. I mean, it, you know, it, it just... Well, we didn't have free stable, banking. Right? That's one thing. A lot less stable. We didn't so, have, I mean, we didn't have you know, a free banking system. Like what do you mean? Uh, uh, I, I Canada and Scotland, I've heard. Uh, George Selgin, he's an economist who has um, written and spoken about this sort of thing. And he, he says that um, there weren't these periodic runs on the banks like there were sometimes in the U.S. in the uh, 19th or um, early 20th century. But the U.S. banking system was regulated. There was a, there was a first... Bank of the United States, the second bank in the United States. There was greenbacks. There was a later Federal Reserve System. So that's a massive interference of the government in the economy. That's not free banking. And yeah, he, well, no, he no, says they, in the Scotland and banking, Canada, they, watch, they were much more free and they didn't have these sorts of problems. These, these banking crashes happened ever basically from the point that Andrew Jackson killed the idea of a national bank all the way up until the Federal Reserve System and the Glass-Steagall Act was enacted, you basically had a banking crash that, that entire period, about every five to 15 years, right? And, that, and then from Glass-Steagall all the way up to 08, there were no banking crashes, right? Um, and so that was a 70-year run, pretty, you know, seems like a pretty positive development that can't be well, explained there was away. there lots of inflation during that period. No, there wasn't. There, there was mean, a commensurate... In the 20th there, century? No, 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 I mean, you used on, to be able to buy on. dinner for five cents, right? Okay, give me give me a second here. So there was a commensurate amount of deflation and inflation. There was still a gold standard before 1970, right? Um, and uh, after that, we had the Federal Reserve take over with credibility and start reducing inflation. The only time that we had inflation that wasn't sort of, you know, conversely met with uh, a period of deflation was basically the late 1970s. Right. But that was a, an anomalous circumstance. And then the Federal Reserve got their act together and solved that problem. So, I mean, you know, we're getting hung up on the banking issue. But in general, uh, you, you also said that, well, in the late 1800s that, you know, they were they were working on ending poverty. Right. And again, I just you know, I, I think that uh, there, there's there, there's many... there much less poverty. Um, I would disagree that people in the 1890s had less impoverishment than the people today, um, either by proportion or by absolute number. That's, I mean, were they not growing pretty... wealthier? Is that not why like millions of immigrants were coming to the United States? So that millions they of immigrants come to the United States today, and we're growing wealthier today. That's not a good argument at all. We're much, much wealthier as a people today than we were in the 1890s. The point is that things were getting better. People's standard of life is no, 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 growing. No. Thing, things are getting better today, and the standard of living today is 100 yeah, times better the than the standard rate, of living in the, the 1890s. Not at the same well, rate. Well, yeah, but we could say the same thing about the Soviet Union, that when they industrialized, everything you know got better for the average person. But there were a lot of losses along the way that could have been mitigated with some reform. Everything right? got better for the average person in the Soviet Union? No, that's not what, what? I said. What I so said what was say? that... Okay, what I said was that the average person, you could say, was net better at the end of the industrialization of the Soviet Union. However, what we could also say is that if the cost of that centrally planned hellhole of an economy was tens of millions of people starving to death, and yeah, maybe they industrialized and the average person, you know, had a toaster and they used not to, um, that's probably not something that's worth it. And what we could also probably reasonably say is that 
there were many reforms that they could have enacted that would have resulted in an equal amount of industrialization Hello? and population. You can't hear me, Dan. Hello? I lost your audio. Oh, dang it, Dan. Well, my point was just to say that um, you could say that there were a lot of problems um, with... Oh, come on, to, Dan. What's wrong uh, with the you internet? Back? Oh, oh, no. Okay. I, uh, okay, now, now I got you back. I lost you for about 30 seconds. <laughs> it's that free market internet, Dan. It's getting you. Um, but, <laughs> all right. Uh, no, all, all that I was saying was that you, you, you could make the same argument about the Soviet Union that, you know, they industrialized and the standard of living for the average person, especially the average urban person, got better as a result of the Soviet Union's economic policies. But the problem with that is that tens of millions of people starved to death. And we could also reasonably say that um, while the average person may have gotten better, you clearly left a lot of people behind. And with the right reforms, you could have actually had an equal amount uh, of, of increase in standard of living without leaving all those people's behind so industrialization is what drives an increase in the standard of living and i think that that's what happened in the 1890s and i think it's unfair to look at that and say well the rate of growth in the 1890s was so much higher today well yeah i mean we're a modern technological you know economy right obviously we're gonna you know it's gonna be a little bit different right I think I, I'm not sure I, I, I followed your your point about the Soviet Union. I mean, I, you, in you general, said that you said the growth rate in the 1890s is a justification. No, 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 just the late the late late 19th century, not just the 1890s. I mean, the late late 19th century, not just well, that late, one decade. Late 19th. OK, I don't. Well, when I say late 19th like century, I'm thinking. War. Yeah, sure. Yeah. We're, again, we're talking about a scenario where. Okay, well, if we're talking about post-Civil War, we're digging ourselves out of a hole, right? We had millions of Americans die in the Civil War. Um, and so, you know, there, there's, there's that, number one. And so we're digging ourselves out of a huge economic hole. So we imagine the growth rates might be a little bit better after that. Um, and then we're talking about a period of industrialization that caused a lot of increases in the standard of living, um, not because of some economic uh structure of the time there was a lot of people left behind there was a lot of crime there was a lot of disease there was a lot of poverty um but because of technological shifts uh you know in general and if you know we can certainly imagine scenarios where there were certain reforms or structure of the economy that were different uh that would have led to more equitable growth uh in general and that's what i'm advocating for it's similar to when you hear tankies and marxist leninists say well, look at the amount of, look at how much the Soviet Union grew, right? They went from peasant farmers to taking on the United States in the course of 50 years. And it's like, well, no shit. They were a huge country that industrialized. Obviously, you're going to have a lot of economic growth when you industrialize. It's more of a matter of how you industrialize. And I think that, uh, you know, it's pretty fallacious to use that, uh, those growth rates uh, as an example of a good governing economy. You uh, you mentioned the economic structure was not connected to the technological growth. If I heard you correctly, I, I, I disagree that with that strongly. I think it was economic freedom and political freedom, the laissez-faire, uh, respecting a rights that allowed such uh, increases and in, in growth, in such rapid growth. So I think it was the the liberty, which also I think is what attracted so many millions of people to the United States. Unlike Soviet Union, where people, you know, would probably rather get out than go in, uh, the economic structure, the, the economic freedom and political freedom was massively important to the ability for technological advancement to occur. As for equality, equitable growth, I think that's, that's I think, a bogus sort of thing to be concerned about. There's going to be massive 
wealth inequality, but I, I don't see a problem with that at all. Um, what matters is that people's rights are respected and that standard of living is increasing. And that happened. If you have some people becoming billionaires and becoming thousands or millions of times uh, richer uh, than others, that's not a problem in my view. Uh, as long as they got their money honestly through voluntarily trades, then I think they deserve it. They have a right to that money and no one has a right to steal it away and give it to anyone else. Right. But the problem is that, number one, there, there are just problems with economic inequality, right, that arise, right? So economic inequality is something that's been shown to cause, you know, increased levels of you know, sort of social rifts and crime and things like that, which is something to be concerned about. You know, mobility is an important thing. The ability to extract economic rents when economic inequality gets so high becomes a lot higher, um, which is where the government should be able to come in and, you know, ameliorate those types of problems. That's one thing. Um, and, you know, then the other thing is that, again, by that metric, you know, if all we're caring about is increases in the standard of living and things like that, well, again, we live a hell of a lot better than we do today than we did in 1890. And that was as a result of technologies that were developed under this apparently unethical and, you know, hellish, you know, democratic governance regulatory framework that happened over the last hundred years. So, I mean, you know, if in the last 130 years, our standard of living got basically a hundred times better, which it did in the last 1890s, I could use that as an example and say, well, obviously, our regulatory framework is fine because, well, we live a lot better than we did in the 1890s. But I don't know if that would be very fair. And similarly, I just don't think it's fair to say, well, the rate of growth in the 1890s was uh, a reason to prefer the governing economy of the time. It just that's that's not a good reason. I, I think, well, a couple things. Uh, first of all, let me go back to the point. Inequality, I do not believe that it causes crime. Uh, I think if, if someone gets richer than somebody else through, through honest efforts, through no rights-violating activities, just a law-abiding citizen, there's no reason that should cause crime. So I, I don't, I don't well, buy you, that. Well, you, you, you don't buy it, but you're not buying it in the face of the, the evidence of the criminologists and the people that study it. I mean, it seems like a pretty well, well-founded, uh, you know, well, a pretty well-founded the truth in those fields. No, I think there's that... lots of bogus studies that are done. Ah, um, yeah. so so... The studies that don't agree with me are bogus. I've heard it before, but we, we, we no, can move on. No, that's a straw man. That's a straw man. Well, I mean, that's basically what you just said, right? I mean, you said, well, no, you know, those studies I that disprove what I'm saying, that... uh, there's, there's some I, problems I, with them vaguely, but you don't, you know, doesn't seem to be some good reasons for it. Uh, I, I said, I think a lot of studies are, are bogus. Yeah. If I mean, there, there's there's some studies that I don't. I think you, you can you, just think about you, philosophically you gave, or with you gave, common sense. You gave the and, most vague possible answer to to that sort of body of literature, right? And I think what's more reasonable is just to say, look, I'm not familiar with that literature. I'd have to read about it, right? But then to to give a really vague sort of no, that whole field of study is wrong because intuitively in my head it doesn't make sense. It's like I don't know. That seems uh, that doesn't seem reasonable to me. I, I think there are some things that you don't need studies in order to establish. Not everything has to be established by study. I think some things are philosophical issues. Well, when so your intuition think... contradicts the reality as measured by well, the people that study that what, subject. You're assuming right? what the reality is there. So I'm not, I'm not uh, the one assuming anything. You're actually the one assuming. I'm the one saying that these studies seem to indicate this. You're the one assuming that they must be wrong based on your intuition. And you know, I, I think a basic scientific process would lead you to... To, to see the problems with that line of thinking. Uh, it's not it's not intuition. It's my experience of the world. So, well, uh, intuition, is... anecdotes, my own experience. I mean, these all can be synonyms for the purposes of this conversation. My my only point is just to say that 
I, I don't I don't think it's reasonable to say that, well, you know, I, I understand a body of literature says this, but based on my experience, my intuition, whatever, uh, my anecdotes that that you know that that must be wrong. It's like I don't know. That seems well, first like first of all, a, I, I don't I don't accept that there's a consensus on that. I'm sure there's free market economists who uh, have counter studies to uh, show the opposite. So um, I mean, there's I people think, like Thomas Sowell and what's the other one? Um, I was just listening to someone. Was it Deirdre McCloskey? Uh, I forget the name, but there's free market economists who will counter studies like that. I'm sure. So. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you, you can, I mean, the point was not to say that there's no exceptions to the body of literature, but rather it's that there's a broad body of literature that's generally seems to find this truth, right? So similarly, right, you can, you can find medical doctors that think that the COVID vaccine doesn't work, right? But that's not a great reason to discount the entire, you know, 98 other percent of doctors that say that it does work, right? Um, that's kind of what I'm trying to, to get at here. Well, well, one thing is that truth is not a matter of numbers. I mean, it's one thing well, to consider, but <laughs> it uh, can be. You know, the facts are what they are, independent of how many people believe it. So, right, and it seems you know, like the it seems like earth the is, Earth is flat doesn't make make it flat in the Middle Ages. You know, you could have an outlier scientist at that time who's a better thinker than others who's got the right view. Right, but I think that we, I think that what you're assuming is that our ability to robustly confirm these things has gotten worse over time and not better. Whereas I think they've gotten better. And the better analogy is here is is you're the one saying that, well, the Earth is flat because we've got you know ten or twenty thousand people, even scientists, people that have studied physics that are saying the Earth is flat. Whereas I'm pointing to the entire robust body of physics and literature and pictures we have and all this evidence that the Earth is round. Right. I think that that's the better analogy to what's happening right now. Well, I haven't seen all that evidence. I would be able to say more if I saw it, but I think I am in at least in a position now to be reasonably skeptical about many of these studies, you know, in part based on my own experience of the world. I think that's relevant and shouldn't be discounted. You shouldn't, you know, uh, be blind well, to your yeah. own experience. All right, let's move on from the inequality and crime thing. Let, let's, you know, yeah, again, I, I think that let's move on even from the, the whole standard of living thing. My, my point on that is just to say that um, I don't think the 1890s or the, you know, the late 19th century is, is, a you know, to me, there's, there's problems there. Um, because I, I mean, we just live a lot better today than we did in the, you know, during that time. Um, you know, so I, yeah, I don't know I if I'd want to living much better today than we are if we had freedom the entire time. Well, I, I, I would disagree that we don't have freedom, right? I mean, obviously we've, uh, you know, we've, we've got a lot of freedom in our system and to the extent that we're, that our, freedoms to do literally anything we want are restricted. Um, you, know, you have a say in those laws that are, that are uh -oh. written, right? So. Oh, sorry. I lost you again for a couple seconds. Um, Come on, Dan. This is why the internet should be a public utility, all right? You see the problems in your ideology sprouting up in the middle of this conversation, Dan? He's gone, people. He's gone. This is why we need public utility internet. Goodness. <laughs> And you guys, I mean, maybe it's my internet. Can you guys hear me? I don't know. Maybe it's me. I don't know. Um, can you guys hear me? Oh, well, I'm getting, I'm getting chat notifications in. I don't know. Sounds like you guys can hear me. This is what happens, guys. You advocate for libertarian objectivism, all this stuff. And, well, would you look at that? Public utility internet. Once again, it should have been us. It should have been the public utility internet. <laughs> I don't know what happened to Dan. I don't know if he's coming back, guys. Um, boy, you got annihilated in that debate. That's true. My uh, my CIA handlers have uh, 
have uh, have have saved me from uh, from being destroyed once again, once again. Hello. Assertive hello. Kind of... Oh, Dan, can hello? you hear us now? Can you hear us? Uh, yeah, I've been able to hear you the the whole time. I think you just haven't been able to hear me for like the last thirty or sixty seconds. Man, that's weird. I don't know why that is. My internet, my internet's definitely working. The stream hasn't cut out or anything. I, I don't know what's up. Maybe it's a, maybe you're accidentally tapping the mute button with your, maybe your ear or something. I don't know. Um, but all right. Well, let you know while we've got the, uh, you know while while we while we've got the uh, the the internet and situation field out here is um. You know, I would I would say that we live in a pretty free society, right? And to the extent that we don't live in a free society where you can't, you know, you can't do literally anything you want, you can't marry a child, you can't murder someone, um, you know, that we have a collective say in those laws that that get enacted, right? You you can vote on those types of things. So, yeah, we have a lot of liberty and much more than many other places in the world, and I'm very thankful for that. But I think we also are um, much more restricted in our liberty than we should. So, I mean, all the taxes, I think all that is a violation of property rights. That's an infringement of people's liberty to do what they want with their own money. All the regulatory agencies, FDA, SEC, FAA, FCC, OSHA, NLRB. I mean, you could you could list, you know, go on for a long time listing all the regulations that sure, sure. restrict people's freedoms. Uh, you know, the... Um, uh, fiat money produced by the Federal Reserve by well, hold on, but yeah, yeah, but but you're uh, not responding to what currency. I said. Though you're not responding to what I said. What I what I said was that to the extent that we are not free to do literally anything, right? So you know we we can't make our own currency. We can't, uh, you know, we can't uh, we can't sell food that's poisonous, right? Um, to the extent that we can't do those things, you have a vote, a say in a democratically accountable system. Uh, to change those things, right? I mean, that's to me, that's the, you know, that, that that's a little bit different than than not being free, right? I mean, we don't live in, uh, you know, we we've got a lot of freedoms that many other people don't have, right? Yeah, we do, um, but I, I think we're we're still. I mean, we still have a long way to go to get to a a perfectly a consistently free society. And I don't think democracy, by the way is if that means unlimited majority rules where just whatever a majority wants goes. I don't think that's freedom. I don't think the majority should be able to vote away the rights of minority, you know, as they do in ancient Greece, where they sentenced Socrates to death because they didn't like what he was saying. Just because the majority doesn't like that, that, that doesn't give them the right to vote away someone else's right to life. Likewise, with uh, taxes, yeah. it doesn't, doesn't matter if a majority wants to take my money away to give it to some someone else. They don't have yeah, a right I mean, to I do that. Yeah, I mean, I think I think empirically, we we often see that the more democratized a, uh, a society is, the more rights that are extended to people, not less, right? Um, and to the extent that we do see societies that democratize more and restrict the rights of minorities, I think that that's where we have, uh, you know, governing principles, you know, constitutional principles that are, uh, you know, make the almost inject some rigidity into the system, which might be, uh, you know, might be justifiable, right? Um, and so, you know, I think that that's perfectly fine i i don't really see um that as a problem and you know i don't um i also one thing that we haven't gotten to is this idea about coercion you know i don't think all forms of coercion are, are wrong right i don't think coercion is necessarily a bad thing yeah so i think we have a disagreement on that point i i was listening to some video of yours recently where you were saying something was coercive that i didn't think or maybe uh it was the reverse but anyway i i I'm sure we don't we don't see eye to eye on what is or isn't coercive. 
And I think coercion is a fundamental concept within political philosophy that's important to be clear on. Um, so the way I understand coercion is physical force, basically. And that includes the threat of physical force. So if you if you shoot yeah. somebody, that's an example of physical force. Or if you threaten to shoot somebody, that's, that's an example of physical force. And that is what I believe should be barred from society and is always wrong. How do you define physical force? Does, uh, it, does it have to be direct? Uh, it doesn't have to be direct. I mean, in the sense of there could be a threat to force. Like I pay my taxes every year under threat of force. No one actually comes to my house and points a gun at me and says, I'm going to haul you off to jail if you don't pay your taxes. But I know that what that's what will right. happen if I don't pay my taxes. Well, what, what so, if I threaten to lock you in a cage and starve you? Is that a threat yeah, of force? Yeah, yeah. Physical contact. Un, un, unconsensual physical contact. I think you could, you could use that as at least a rough definition of what is meant by uh, physical force. Well, what, what, if, what, if I, you know, what if I glue all the, all the window seals and all your locks shut while you're sleeping in your house, and I say, I'm not going to let you out unless you do something for me? Is that physical force? You glue all the locks shut? Yeah, you're, you're physically interfering with my property, so it's not just using force on a person, sure. but on a person or property of that person, that's physical force. And you would definitely be doing that if you uh, touch yeah, my sure. property in that way. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that we're, what you're falling into here, I think, is, is a, a definition of coercion that's so absolute that it almost, um, you know, if, if you include something like that as physical force, right, you could say that, um, you know, you could say that uh, an employer taking advantage of their negotiating power against me to pay me lower wages is physical force, right? That I'm, uh, I'm, no. uh, you know, I'm, I'm being, you know, uh, part of my wage is being taken uh, against my sort of full and equal consent. No, that's that's a voluntary transaction. Unless they, you know, threaten you with a gun or something, you're well, you're choosing it's, that it's, voluntarily. It's, volu it's voluntary. It's voluntary for you to stay in your house and starve to death. Right. I mean, I've just glued all the locks shut, but I mean, you know, you can no, voluntarily it's, it's, pick the part of my my rights over property that I get to control how they're used. If I want my windows to not be glued shut, you're interfering that physically. You're interfering with that. My right to my property when you do that. So that's not right. But, right, but in a, in a scenario with a concentrated labor market and monopsony power uh, and a less than mobile labor force, which, you know, is all things that are empirically demonstrable. Um, we have a scenario where, you know, capital, right, business interests are able to exert force, right, exert their negotiating leverage over workers and extract value from them, right, extract a wage from them that they would otherwise not be able to obtain, um, you know, than they would otherwise be able to get, right? That's coercion, right? It's coercion. No, it's now, I would, trade. No, it's, it's, but it's coercive, though. All, some no, trade can be coercive. Well, what's your definition of coercion? Well, yeah, it's, it's a hard thing to define. I mean, coercion to me is a scenario where you uh, basically, in a toxic way, take advantage of another person or to extract uh, value or uh, you could say value or, uh, you know, deeds from a person that they would otherwise not be willing to give you um, if those circumstances were different, right? So uh, to me, that's what coercion would be. Well, if you say in a toxic way, I think that's a pretty subjective way of putting it which is not going to <laughs> well, I, I don't, uh, result I, I, in much uh, useful I, th I think i think your analysis has been a, a lot more subjective than mine uh, thus far i mean i, I don't i don't think physical uh, force contact physical contact is a lot more objective than saying something is toxic that's subjective right i mean you know i i can uh 
you could say you're coercing me by giving me a hug and making me care for you, right? That that could be a form of coercion under that under that you know definition, right? But I, I don't I don't think that's any more objective or subjective than mine is. I mean, you know, the point is just to say that I think that your definition leads to the idea that um, well, basically, as long as as long as you're not physically touching me, there's no such thing as or, or f threatening to physically touch me. Um, outside of those two circumstances, there's no such thing as as a um, you know something that could be considered bad or like negatively coercive, right? And I think well, that it's that's, not just uh, touch you or threaten to touch you; it's also your property. Well, well, sure, right? But it, you know, if if your work product is your property, right? I have a I have a you know a right to my work product, right? Yeah. Um. Then every single firm is coercing every single employee under a under a standard Marxist analysis, right? And I just well, don't think I don't I don't a... agree with the Marxist analysis. Well, I right. I, I understand you don't, wrong. but you're well, right, and I and I do too. But my point is that my my framework doesn't lead me to agreeing with. Uh, with a Marxist, right? And so uh, that's kind of where we're, we're, hung, we're hung up here. Well, yeah, because if you're if you're saying that lock, you know, gluing all the windows and locks shut in a house, and you know, if they don't do something for me, then I'll just leave them in their house and they can starve. You're saying that's coercive, right? Yeah. Right. And so what I'm saying is that if you find yourself in a less than mobile labor market where you're not able to necessarily shop around and you know you know find a different job and something like that, and you end up uh, in a negative sense, having to accept a wage that's lower than you would otherwise tolerate because that's the only option available to you, you're saying that's not coercive. <laughs> but I think that's certainly coercive, and I think that's where you know the government should probably come in and do some uh, some good work uh, regulating that situation. I'm not sure I fully followed your example, but I just want to say that you don't have a right to a certain wage. But the fact well, what, that you can't no, I, get a I, I didn't wage say that. that you want is not any evidence that you're being coerced. I didn't say that. No, that's that's and not. It's also not much saying... different than being locked in your house. Well, no, because in the scenario again, I think you're you're missing the analogy here. I have not physically touched you or threatened to that's physically property, touch you, though. right? Well, sure, but my work product is my property, right? Do you not have a right yeah. to your work product? Yeah, whatever you voluntarily consent to, you've agreed right, to take you, a job at certain. You, you have a right to your work product, right? Um, and so by that regard, the the capitalist firm taking part of my work product is... Uh, no, no, no. You know, is, okay, is well, coercive. we have to define what's meant by work product then because I think you're you're using it differently uh, than I'm imagining. You have... so Let's clarify. You, you, uh, you have a right to the wages in this case. You don't have a right to uh, some... I guess the Marxists would call it surplus value. I don't really buy that concept. But you, what you have a right to is what you voluntarily consent to on the contract, which is your wages if you're a wage worker. That's it. Yeah, I get what you're saying, right? But I, I think that uh, what you're either not a, you know, sort of addressing or coming with is the idea that certain markets can be skewed and therefore certain actors in a market can coerce people into basically signing a contract or volunteering their situation where they otherwise wouldn't want to do that right um and no. that's that's where no, uh, i don't buy that they're being coerced into signing a contract i think it's voluntary you okay it's okay if i hold a gun to your head and say you know well, hey do coercive. this okay right that's coercive because you're threatening to shoot someone right that's not what happens now, right but ultimately i could reduce that down and say well you're voluntarily doing the thing for me even though i'm yo, know, i'm you're holding a gun to my head and it's like okay well yeah, but did you sign on the dotted line? Like, I could do that over and over again. You're just saying that, 
Well, my line is further, my you know preferred line is further to the right than that. Whereas what I'm saying is that I'm just not sure that that line necessarily makes uh, you know uh, the most sense, right? I think that a, you know sort of a more broad definition of coercion makes the most sense because under your logic, there's there's literally no such thing as a market that could lead to uh, y y there's no such thing as like market failure or coercion, and you know all all contracts are necessarily voluntary in, in a holistic part. But I don't know, that's not reasonable, right? I mean, is it uh, is it is it uh, I'm trying to think of a good example other than the one I've already mentioned, but you know, I, I just I don't know if that's the the, mo the most reasonable thing to assume. Oh, I think it is reasonable. I think it's unreasonable to assume it's not voluntarily. If someone is just making you an offer, which you can walk away from, they're not yeah, putting a I gun mean, to your head. It's up to you whether you take the job or not. Okay, again, they're not putting a gun to your head, but the 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 other side of not accepting a job in a monopsonized market is not having a job at all and starving, right? So I think that's where the coercion, the coercive well, element comes in. in nature. That's what you face in nature, nature that causes you to have to work. And if someone else comes along and offers you the job to make it easier for you to survive, then you could survive on your own. Then you might find it's in your interest to accept that offer. Otherwise, you're just back in the position you were when you were facing nature alone. But that's not coercive. Nature doesn't coerce you. Well, it nature absolutely does coerce you. I don't know how you could. Ever All right. Well, come now to we're that, getting to the root that. of it. Then I think. Well, no, no, no. I, no, that, no. That's absolutely not how I understand. Coercion. No, no, no. We're we're not. You're not getting another person this. in the picture. Well, we're, we're, well, I mean, I don't know what you mean by. Well, when I say nature can coerce you, I mean like you know the 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 bear that's attacking you. I would say is a form of coercion. We might not blame the bear for doing that because it's just a wild animal, right? But. Um, certainly that's a form of coercion, right? At least yeah, it's not so good for you. Yeah, so if there's not um, even an animal, if you're just on a desert island alone by yourself, you're not being coerced. But you still have to work. Well, you, you have to, well, you have, you, your full work product is represented in what you get, though, in that scenario, right? Which is not the case in, like, a market economy, right? Now, my point is that I don't actually think that's the worst thing in the world, right? Because I believe in government regulation, right? And so my thought is just that, well... In a scenario where a worker is faced with a monopsonized market, the government can, in fact, take steps to, uh, you know, ameliorate that concern and make that market more competitive. You know, government involvement can make markets more efficient, not less, right? And so this is where, you know, to me, uh, the government could come in and solve that issue. Whereas you're saying, uh, well, no, actually, any any market transaction is completely voluntary, so therefore it's completely fine and you know that ignores basically the entire lot of market failures that exist that people might not necessarily volunteer uh for whether they be externalities or whether they be directly involved in the transaction i think when the government interferes it only violates rights if it's interfering with voluntary uh transactions but on the issue of market failure i'll just recommend a book which uh is by no! a... don't recommend a book dan it's annoying when people do that explain the arguments I don't care well, I'm about not an economist who has done like lots and lots of research. So that's all. That's uh, all you have to say, then, Dan. Just say called, I uh, haven't. I haven't done a lot uh, of research. Markets don't fail, by Brian Simpson, and uh, he uh, he uh, addresses probably many of the sorts of market alleged market failures that you would point to. Um, Explain but the I'm argument. A philosopher. And uh, we can we can go back to the more philosophical issues, and I can hold on. You know, on explain the, specifically economic issues. I can refer you to an objectivist economist. You you, you said you've you said you've read this book, right? No, nope. Brian Simpson. I read it. I read it exists. Well, why would you? Well, Dan, why would you rec Why would you rightly recommend a book you haven't read? It doesn't make any sense, Dan. 
Did you I just know read the guy's the general general perspective. So, so I have a high degree of confidence that there's a lot of good value in this book. Well, I mean, I, I well, I, I can't really take seriously a. It, it seems like you've just read the title of the book and figure you'll agree with it. And I, that doesn't. That's. I mean, I, I've heard objectivist economists discuss various market failures or, or alleged market failures, like externalities. So uh, I have heard particular arguments, but. I'm uh, I'm just offering a resource, which if people want an in-depth view of this, they can go to. So, look, I'm nobody not, read uh, that book. You don't know what it's about, people. All right, I don't recommend mm -hmm. it. Um, but why not? Uh, <laughs> why, why are you scared of it? <laughs> are you afraid that people might find something that? Uh, no, I, I, I. Why don't I just you just don't recommend think... the counter book? Well, I, I don't read. Be afraid of right? I, I don't read many books, and I'm willing to admit that. I, I read typically. I read a lot of, you know, maybe studies or maybe you should read his a book. Lot of You'll lectures. get a new perspective on market failures. Well, look, I, I've read a lot about the arguments of, you know, you could say objectivists, but really, you know, more right-leaning libertarian types on, you know, how market failures don't exist or natural monopoly is not a real thing. Um, I just think it's crazy to recommend a book you haven't actually read. That just that's that cries of confirmation bias to me. Uh, I don't. I don't think so. Not necessarily. If you've got a general knowledge of the person and his perspective, if you've had conversations for, a per I, I've actually got an endorsement of one of his books. I endorsed one of his other books on the back cover. I have a blurb there, so I have a decent understanding well, of his general perspective. I mean, so I, if I, if I said maybe, I, maybe if I actually read his book, I would disagree with it. I doubt it, but well, look, I'm just if, saying if, there's a source out there which you might want to consult. If I said, if I said, I, I love Bernie Sanders, I'm totally familiar with his entire ideology, and you know, hey, uh, he he recommends this policy. It's like, okay, well, tell me the implications of that policy. And it's like, I don't know, I haven't really looked into it, but Bernie said it, so I trust it. Do you think that would be like a really convincing or no, good argument? No, I think that's, I think that's, that's uh, not an accurate character. That is exactly sort of what you just said to me, though. I'm saying I I know his general position. I know he's a free market economist. I know he's an objectivist. So I have pretty good reason to think that if he writes a book called uh, Markets Don't Fail, there's something that I would likely agree with in that it's, book. Maybe not. It's not, it's, it's it's not confirmation. <laughs> it's not It's not confirmation bias. I just, I know him and his general positions and he wrote a book and I'm sure I'd agree with it. It's like, okay, well, No, on, I said, I, I said, I, maybe I wouldn't. I think that's very unlikely, All right. but it's possible. Well, sure. I'm just. It would be you know, weird. If, it would be very weird if I had tons of disagreements with his book. I'll put it that well, way. Well, like uh, if one of your philosophy professors told you to read a book that they hadn't read themselves, that would probably give you pause. I assume it'd <laughs> be kind of odd. Um, no, I think if they had, if they were familiar with the person's general position, I think it would be reasonable for them to say, "Hey, I know he's written a book on X, which you just brought up, so maybe that's a place to uh, check out some arguments that you know could give you some pause." Well, sure, sure. All right, let's just move beyond that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that to give a bit of uh, a higher level, not, well, not a higher level argument, but to, to bring it back to a higher level, I just think there's a lot of practical realities to the type of society you envision that would lead, uh, well, lead a lot of people to suffer more than they're suffering today, right? And so that's why I don't really, um, don't, I, don't, I don't think I can agree with uh, most of what you're saying, most of your prescriptions thus far. Okay. You know, so no, you think, no, no, no uh, welfare and no regulations. I mean, these are these are things that uh, would lead to a lot of people suffering. Uh, no, I think it would actually be much better. I think freedom is the road to prosperity, not coercion. And the society that I envision is a society of more freedom, 
And this goes back to the example of the 19th century, which we were talking about a while ago. I think there was uh, tremendous progress, a greater rate of progress in that era than there was in the present era. So I think we would right. be much well, further we'd... along today. Maybe we would have flying cars by now if we had had over a century of uh, laissez-faire, which we haven't had. Instead, we've had lots of government intervention, regulations, coercion, taxation. Well, look, I, all I, of that I... has slowed us down. You know, I, I just don't think it's coercive for the government to say that, you know, you have to have airbags in your car. You have to have a have to have a backup camera or you have to wear a seatbelt when you drive. I mean, these are all things that you could say or are, uh, you, know, uh, you know, against your freedom to not wear a seatbelt. But, you know, it saves lives, right? It saves lives and uh, it makes people live uh, more quality lives. And those are the types of things that I think are uh, reasonable for the government to do. You know, I you can say that's a violation of your freedom for government to be a nanny. I think adults have the right to decide how they're going to live, or whether it's taking drugs, um, drinking alcohol. I don't believe in prohibition, even though, you know, there can be bad effects from taking drugs and alcohol. I think individuals have a right to decide uh, what goes into their own body, what kind of sex they have. I think it's a violation of the government, of, of the individual's rights when the government steps in and says, no, I know you're an adult. But I'm going to tell you what's best for you. You don't get well, to decide uh, that. At, at what age do they gain these rights? There's no magical age, but well, you know <laughs> there's there is a difference between being a child and being an adult. And at a certain point, it's no longer anyone else's role to tell you what to do. You're an what independent, if, autonomous being. What what if a, what if someone wanted to marry a 14 year old? Would that be okay? They're both voluntarily sort of saying yes. I'll I'll I'll, I'll marry this other person. Is that all right? I. I I have doubts that it is all right. I think 14 is pretty young. I think the age of consent is reasonably put older than that. But again, there's no magical age. But I think that's kind of a red herring. The issue is there is a difference between being an adult and being a child. And the law should recognize that. And it should leave adults to supervise their children and shouldn't treat adults as children. Well, what, what I'm saying is that with without a government, you know, you're saying the government shouldn't act as a nanny, right? But I mean, the government's getting into quote unquote, your business by saying, you know, you can't marry a 14 year old. Right. I mean, that's that seems like a no, reasonable right. If it's it's because children, they haven't developed enough to be able to, you know, make certain kinds of decisions. So. Right. But how not, do you def, how do you define the point? My point is not that I'm not saying you're advocating for lower. I mean, I don't know if you believe in that lowering the age of consent or something. But I'm just saying that my point is that you need the government to step in on certain issues and draw clear lines so that people uh you know so that you can have a less coercive society for and again i think that you could use an example of not being able to marry children as one example and i think similarly you could say that you know selling medication that is proven to work is another example or um you know having certain you know if you're going to call yourself a doctor that you have certain minimum sort of standardized qualifications i mean these are things that i think help a lot of people live happy healthier more prosperous lives and ultimately lead him uh, to, to having more freedom. Okay. I, I think the examples you're giving are, I, I put in different categories. So when it comes to uh, having a law that says you can't marry someone under this age, I don't think that's a, a violation of rights. I think that's a way of protecting rights. Um, I think having I, a, having laws that say that doctors have to have some qualifications and medication, I think that's a way to protect the consumer's rights. 
Okay, I, I think that's where I'm going to disagree. I would put that in a different category. I don't think it's the state's business to be giving out licenses uh, of who can and can't practice medicine. I think there can be private organizations that uh, give certification, and you can try to get these certifications if you want to get some kind of, uh, you know, third-party uh, stamp of approval to, uh, you know, get some. Uh, more buy-in on the part of people who are shopping around for doctors. You know, there can be a certification. The AMA is a private, you know, institution. Okay, that's fine then. But what I oppose is the government uh, forbidding people to practice medicine. I think this should, this should be a private business. So um, that, that's, that's, that's a difference. So if, if it's a private organization, yeah, that's what I favor. And I think there should be agencies cer- that certify people and that you can, you know, g- get their uh, stamp of approval and therefore give people confidence that you're, you're a legit doctor. I'm all for that. Right. Just I, that I, and what I'm saying, doing that. right. And it, it just, it just sounds like you don't care about the consequences of these policies at all. And maybe you don't, I mean, not everyone has to be a consequentialist. I, I just think that the you know the the, the prospect of people b- being able to go out and pretend to be doctors just seems really, you know, unsatisfying to me. You might say that, oh well, you know, their reputation's going to be harmed, and the market will correct for that, and eventually they'll be put in jail if they mess up uh, enough. But the problem is all those people along the way that get messed up and you know aren't held account. You know, they're not held accountable at every point in that chain, right? And so I think starting with, you know, starting off from the start saying, you know, no, we're not going to hire you to practice medicine if you don't have these basic government required qualifications. I mean, I think that that's where you end up saving a lot of those people that that person would hurt along the way. I don't believe in preventive law. So I think someone is innocent until proven guilty. And if someone does something like, you know, uh, they, they harm patients, then they can be you know, they'll suffer the consequences. They can j- go to jail if they do something intentionally that harms right, someone. Right, but you're, you're leaving but, all but, those people but the along thing is, the way okay, well, on well, the hook. Well, maybe, maybe you're going to murder someone, so maybe we should just lock you up right now. It's possible, right? And we don't want we we to be able to prevent that from happening, right? So no, we'll, nobody, nobody's, nobody's, saying, nobody's saying we should lock you up because we think you're a bad doctor. We're just saying that if you want to become a certified doctor, like, or we, we should say if you want to practice medicine, um, you have to get a minimum qualification that's standardized that we all agree upon. Uh, that's all that people are saying, right? And, and hey, hey, guess what, Dan? It's totally voluntary. You don't have to do it if you don't want to. Well, you can have a private organization that does that. And, you know, people should look into it. They should say, well, uh, has my doctor got this certification that's been around for decades and, you know, it's acquired some amount of reputa- reputability. And if he doesn't have any of these qualifications, then you better keep shopping. I think it's it's part of being a responsible adult that you look into what you're buying. You don't just blindly uh, lurch into the first person you find on the Internet. You know, you look into it some. And I think that's that's something that yeah, I, I, uh, I don't, is reasonable I don't think, to expect. I think what's reasonable to expect is that the governing apparatus surrounds you uh, has a regulatory environment that's such to the extent that you don't have to spend three hours uh, researching who to go see for a routine checkup um, and within reason that they're going to have some minimum qualifications that we all agree on, right? I mean, for instance, right? I mean, I, 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 when I walk into a hospital and someone takes my blood pressure, I don't even have to worry or think or care about their qualification to do such a thing because I know for a fact they're qualified to do it 
because they've they've got all the certifications that they need. They wouldn't be allowed to do it otherwise, right? I think that saves a lot of time, allows people to go about their day faster, and I think it prevents a lot of scams and people from being taken advantage of. I don't I don't know that it's going to take three hours just to find a doctor. I mean, there could be a a very well recognized brand, uh, just like you know whatever McDonald's or. Um, Nike shoes or whatever, you know, some brand that's been around for decades and you go into the store and you say, all right, well, here's Nike shoes. I know that people have been buying these for, uh, you know, decades. So I, I'm perfectly comfortable buying this shoe. You know, it only takes, takes a few minutes. You see, they've got this brand and okay, boom, you're ready to go. I, yeah, I don't see why it's going to take three hours of research to be comfortable with it. Brand, brand equity itself is a market failure, right? I mean, in theory, you should, you should not be able to extract uh, value from uh, from your clients just because of your brand. That itself leads to other market problems. For instance, right? Let's say that you're a brand that's well respected and well known, um, and let's say that you can lower your costs substantially by partnering with like a prescription company that gives worse drugs, but they're going to give you kickbacks on that uh, because you're prescribing it to your patients. You're now taking advantage of your brand equity in order to push something on your patients that's suboptimal, but it's not suboptimal enough that they're going to care, right? Or they're going to notice, right? At least not for a long time. Maybe it takes a while for these types of symptoms to come about, which is the case in a lot of medicine. You know, so I just, I, I, I don't, I don't think, and that's, that's not an uncharitable example, Right. That's a very reasonable example. And so I just think that, you know, you're what you're describing, you, you, you've you've you know, you've, you've shunned away one market failure, walked right into another one. I mean, there, there's just a lot of reasons why we should have government regulations for certain things. You know, if you, if you want to argue that, uh, you know, the government probably oversteps here and there. I mean, I even agree that some regulations are dumb and should be repealed. Um, but I mean, to say that we shouldn't have any apparatus for regulation at all basically outside of governing the police and the military and the courts. I mean, that's just crazy, Dan. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, well, I don't, I don't buy that you've shown there are market failures. And also, I just, I just described fraud, them in fraud detail. Is already, fraud is already uh, illegitimate in the system I envision. So that's, that is a form of force. So fraud, if fraud, you're, if, if fraud you're is a form of force. And you're, you're, yeah, in your line, then it's a way of getting money from someone uh, without their consent. They're not consenting to give the, to, to take the thing that is being presented to them. So, you know, if you, if it says on the package that it only has, uh, 10 grams of fat, but it actually has a hundred grams of fat and they give you money on the assumption that it's only got 10 grams of fat in it, then you're lying to it, to them. You're taking their money without their consent. They're not consenting to get the thing with a hundred grams of fat. They're consenting to the thing with 10 grams of fat. So you're taking money against their, cons uh, against their consent. So fraud well, well, is a form of force, and that's already outlawed in my system. Okay, so if all if all forms of fraud are well, that's such a simple because you're basically saying all forms of fraud are outlawed, but you're you're neglecting to realize you need so many different governing apparatuses to enforce the fact that fraud is now illegal, right? Like oh, yeah, you know fraudulent. And, no, but repu. Okay, you can't just say something's illegal and then say the and, market and will enforce it. People go to jail if they violate it. Mar people will go to jail if they have a bad reputation right but you, you you have to have apparatuses to determine whether or not fraud exists and you have to have apparatuses yeah. to make laws in order to determine uh right, what, what right but there's no but who makes the law you, you literally just said the government would only do three things courts military police who's making the laws? part of the court system 
you can take somebody to court if you if you think they engaged in fraud. You can sue no, somebody. But Dan, Dan, who's making the laws though? There's no there's no legislative branch. There's no exec. Who's who's in charge of making oh, there, the laws? There is. I, I was I was giving the basic three police military okay, well, courts. Okay, yeah, well, that, uh, yeah, just, okay. Just well, I was confused simple, then. But, yeah, you yeah. gotta have people making laws. Okay, so you've got you've got some legislators and you've got some. Okay, that makes more sense now. Yeah. Okay. So, well, yeah, but you need so many other apparatuses to determine whether or not fraud exists, right? Or, or, or to 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 regulate fraud, right? I mean, doesn't uh, I mean, right? I mean, the only the only punishment in your system probably wouldn't reasonably be jail time, right? You know, for instance, if They're someone. Fines. Right, right. But again, I'm I'm saying that what you know, a lot of these agencies that you're against are proactive in that regard, right? I mean that you know, it, it's well, good they're, when they're we... telling people what they what they can and can't do in the sense of of initiating force. So they're saying that we're going to forcibly prevent you from being a doctor, for instance, if you don't have this state license. Yeah, that would be no, 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 no. Guess, guess what? I'm talking about that's voluntary, though. You don't no, have to become no. a doctor. That doesn't mean it's not voluntary. Like if, if you it can does, give a mugger your wallet, <laughs> you can choose. You don't have to give the mugger your wallet. You can let him blow your head off. The government's not, not gonna. Forced? The government's not gonna blow your head off if you become a doctor. But they might don't become you a doctor. Jail if you try to practice medicine without their consent. Well, yeah, because at that point you're not following their regulations. But yeah, you don't have to course. be a doctor. <laughs> yeah, you don't. You don't have to be a doctor though. Just like you, you know, it, under your system, right? You you don't have to take the job under a monopsony market. But I mean, you did, right? You so don't have to hand them under your wallet. Yeah, that's my point, not yours though, right? You're 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 the one who made the point that, oh well, you know, I mean, yeah, it's a monopsony market, and you might be paid a lower wage than you otherwise would reasonably deserve in a competitive labor market, but it's voluntary. Like, okay, well, yeah, I mean, you might want to practice fraudulent medicine and be a dick and be a terrible doctor, but uh, you got this minimum government regulation you have to pass, and so, therefore, you're not going to be a doctor. Plain and simple. It's well, voluntary. if you bring fraud in, I, I'm not sure I followed that. I said if you bring fraud into it, that's outlawed. That's a, that's doing something unconsensual. Right, but so what's what's wrong? What, why why is it wrong for the government to again? You're I feel like you've completely not addressed the point that you're you're leaving so many people behind along the way in your system, right? You've got so many people that are being defrauded and hurt physically and mentally and financially. Well, that's um, an assumption. That, that's not an assumption at all. That's what we see in absence of good regulation. You see snake no, oil I, salesmen. I you see people defrauding investors. You you see those things happen. Well, you're. I think you're making an assumption about the extent that it would happen. I'm I, not. Which you're you're pinning on me, which I haven't conceded. These, these these were incredibly pervasive problems before the regulations that I'm describing came online in the financial and the medical sectors in the developed world. And in the developing world, they are current problems. One of the reasons why you typically get higher returns but much more risk in emerging markets is because there's way less investor protections and there's way less regulations regarding investment. Right? The, you know, I mean, sure, you take that risk, right? But at the end of the day, if your money is stolen as an investor, it gets stolen. Right. And that doesn't happen as much in the developed world because we have regulations that are proactive and that prevent that from happening in the first place. That's a good thing. Well, I would need to see evidence. I, I don't buy that uh, fraud happens at a, at a greater rate. I suspect it would happen at a, a lower rate if we had a system of freedom and we had a system where uh, people could rely on their reputations and people, people currently courts. rely on their reputations. I think the um, Rep reputational damage is not 
mutually Bernie exclusive. Bernie Madoff is actually an example that comes to mind. I think he w- someone actually wrote to the SEC like three times. I think I heard telling them about you know you know this guy he's he's engaging in fraud. But they were the SEC was so busy looking at other people who are not engaged in fraud, uh, you know, innocent people, uh, because there's this idea of uh, you're you're not innocent until proven guilty. They spend so much time uh, investigating. Uh, all the people who shouldn't be investigating, they don't catch the actual crook. Yeah, but and, what, what you're just saying is that there's... You're, you're, that's you got to understand how I'm not going to really resonate with that argument because you're basically just saying, well, because the system's not perfect, we shouldn't have the system at all, right? And that, that's totally unreasonable. I mean, again, right? Yeah. What, what you're you know, basically I'm saying... saying devoting what, resources to things they shouldn't be doing, and that prevents them from doing what they should be doing. Okay, if they so, are laser-focused well, okay, so on attacking what, the criminals instead of regulating so, anybody who they don't have any evidence to think is doing thing wrong, then they're not going to be catching the criminals as well. The only reason they have the the ability to go after those people and catching those criminals is because it is a crime what those people are doing. Whereas what you're saying is, well, we're just going to have a vague notion of fraud and no actual regulatory apparatus for investing and how to you know sign off on your investments and the standards by which we would announce investments to the world is ridiculous someone points out in my chat i didn't even think about it but they're right bernie madoff was also he was caught you know also and put in jail right so i it's not a it's not a great example um and well i don't you know, think I, it's a great example of the effectiveness of regulatory agencies he was he was caught though you're just you're what, you're, what are you saying dan you're saying oh well he he was uh defrauding investors would, would he have been caught sooner if they had been laser focused on catching criminals instead of looking over everybody's shoulder even if they don't have evidence that well, everyone else uh, is doing anything wrong dan if 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 there were cameras on every street corner and you had to go to a mental evaluation every single week they'd probably prevent a lot of crime obviously there's some trade-off that we're willing to take between liberty and your sort of security and stability right so i'm not saying that trade-off doesn't exist all that i'm saying is that you're you're so far on the other end of that spectrum that we end up basically neglecting even basic things that the government can do to proactively prevent these things from happening. I mean, for instance, the Enron, the Enron uh, controversy. I believe that 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 fundamentally was about uh, you know should should businesses be required by law to uh, basically accurately sign off on their financial statements, right? Should financial statements have to be accurate? Was was I think part of that controversy in Enron, right? And what you're saying is, well, they would have to face reputational damage and they might have to go to court for fraud if they were you know, defrauding their investors. But what I'm saying, though, is that why can't the state be proactive and go after that type of situation from the first place? And why can't we operate under a framework where consumers and businesses and investors understand that those regulations exist? So I'm probably going to have to either price that in or I'm going to have to not do that because I know that those regulations exist. People are innocent until proven guilty. So if you have evidence <laughs> that Enron is doing something wrong, then you can look into it. The, the government can look into it if they have you know, reasonable suspicion that they're cooking the books. Well, I think you're just they, re- repeating yourself, right? I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying, right? But again, I, I don't, you, you've not really offered a substantive rebuttal to the idea that why, why can't the government, to me, when the government is able to proactively regulate these things and say that, hey, based on these problems we've had in the past, based on these issues, based on these market failures or whatever it is, we're going to say that you're not allowed to do this. You have to have some basic certification. You have to prove some efficacy of your product, like whatever the situation is before you market it. Um, To me, that prevents a lot of problems, right? And at the very least, it gives 
uh, recourse for the government to immediately go after those people rather than putting basically the onus on the victim and saying, you know, you're going to have to take that doctor or that business to court in order to prove that they did this, right? I mean, that's that's the issue in, in your system, I, I think. I don't think it's it's a problem that someone might, in a given case, have to take someone to court. I think that's, you know, that's just part of life. You know, some things, uh, sometimes you do have to fight back against injustice. There's no guarantee. But what I do think is wrong is to uh, violate the rights of the innocent, which I think you're doing when you regulate people, because regulation is a form of coercion. You're taking not, away people's I'm, freedom to act yeah, as they choose. I don't disagree that regulations are a form of coercion, but you're you're saying that the coercion of saying that you know you 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 have to provide accurate financial statements or you have to provide some basic competency before you become a doctor and start operating on people or you know the the regulation of saying that um, you have to prove that this pill actually does what you says it does before you market it, you know you're coercing on those businesses and those people's ability to interact in the market. And it's like. Yeah, again, I, I I don't disagree that that's coercion, but that's coercion that I think leads to less pain and suffering in the world, right? I mean, not all coercion's bad. Well, I, I think it does lead to more pain and suffering in the world. How? I mean, when I when I go when a doctor gives me a prescription, I don't have to wonder if that prescription's going to work. I know that the pill works because the governing apparatus, the FDA, is pretty you strong. You can bribe you can bribe people at the FDA or other regulatory agencies. There's no magic way to to guarantee that you're not going to get a defective product. Again, th this this is back to the idea that because these systems aren't perfect, we shouldn't have the whole system. That doesn't make any sense. Police aren't perfect. The military isn't perfect. The courts I'm aren't perfect. Those are have it those are, it's not perfect. I'm saying its essence you, that's is, what you just is said. bad. Its essence no, no, no. is bad. But, because but you, it's can, you, you can bribe the military. You can bribe the police. You can bribe the courts. Therefore, in essence, all the three things you advocated for at the beginning are bad. That doesn't make you, any there's sense, There's no Dan. way to escape judgments. I mean, there, there's there no is. I can bribe the judge. Still. No, I, I mean, there, 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 there's, there's no way. Um, I mean, you, you were saying like, you know, when you go to a, a hospital or you get a certain drug, you, you're, you're like, you're hundred percent guaranteed that there's not going to be a problem because it has a stamp of approval of the government. I mean, that's, I, I, I don't think that's valid. Do we well, you're, you're, the, your police the, and your military and your courts have the stamp of approval of the government. And therefore you're trusting them to in, enact their, job of providing security right but you can bribe all three of those entities you can coerce all three of those entities those three entities can themselves be coercive right obviously we know about the problems with the police and the military and the courts right i mean those systems have a hell of a lot of problems and i think frankly they've got a lot more problems than uh you know the basic regulations of our medical or food industries right or in our, our investing industries right i mean that and that's, if, uh, if those if those institutions become corrupt then you know at a certain point you can Try to overthrow them. I mean, like in the American Revolution, you're dealing with a case where they thought, all right, it's time to overthrow the government because the government, the rules, this is corrupt. I don't think we're yeah, at that point right now, but it I mean, could putting, come to that. Yeah, I just I think putting the onus on a decentralized group of people to basically become terrorists and start, you know, attacking the government and acting violence upon the government because they disagree with policy. Um, you know, to me, that is a lot worse of a scenario to put people in than a scenario where they have democratic say in how regulations are put forth and how they're enforced. Um, and we all have to follow these regulations collectively and we all decide upon them collectively. I think that leads to a lot better outcomes for a lot of people. And, you know, to be fair, the medical stuff is, 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 is one example of regulations working, but that's not to mention all the examples of, I think, tax taxing 
uh, people and spending that money on other things tends to lead to a lot better outcomes as well, you know? So I just, I think that what you're trying to have your cake and eat it too. I'd be perfectly fine if in this debate you came here and you said, yeah, you know, there'd probably be a lot more people in poverty and there'd probably be a lot more sort of products that people would have to shop around for and a lot more bullshit products that people would have to deal with. But that's the cost of liberty. I just think, you know, liberty and freedom is my a priori issue. That's the number one thing I care about in a negative sense. Um, and, you know, we, that's the cost that we pay. If you come on here and say that, that's fine. But what you're saying is, well, actually, under this system, we'd have even less fraud and there'd be even less people in poverty. And it's like, well, these are these are ahistorical um, you know, uh, a, a empirical arguments that you're making. And I, no, no, no. So I think sense. you're making projections onto me that aren't, aren't uh, accurate. So, and that's part of what the history of the 19th century, I think, shows. I think that shows the people's standard of living did improve and life was getting better as a result of having uh, economic freedom and political freedom. I think, I think that belies the, the, the argument that you're trying to the make. The economy there. grew under the Soviet Union, Dan. <laughs> yeah, and, and lots of people starved to death. Lots of people starved to death in the late 19th century. You're not going to tell me that was like Soviet Union, are you? I'm not the one saying that economic growth and an increase in standard of living necessarily means your system is working well, right? That's the argument that you're making, right? I agree that there was obviously gains in the standard of living in the late 19th century, and I would put that on industrialization, right? However, and freedom. By not freedom? Is freedom irrelevant to that? What, what do you... Well, no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I, I think... Well, I, I suppose we could say that industrialization, even in an autocratic society, leads to a lot of standard of living gains. Again, you know, the, you know the, the, the Soviet Union had a growing economy, right? I mean, again, the costs of that were tens of millions of people starving to death and a lot of autocratic nonsense that people had to put up with. However, the economy grew and the standard of living got better. However, all that I'm saying is that standard similar to the Soviet... I mean, nothing like okay, uh, Dan. in the U.S., no? Okay, well, first of all, again, if, if I, I just, you're falling so deeply into these tanky arguments. I don't want to make it come off like I'm a tanky. If you were to compare the Soviet Union's growth to similarly developing economies of the day, like Brazil, which are very similarly sized and situated economies of the time, the USSR grew up, you know, grew more than Brazil at the time, right? And that was under an autocratic, centrally planned system. I'm not making that argument, though, right? I'm not making the argument that just because, you know, the GDP got bigger and the, you know, sort of material standard of people um, is, is, is growing on average, that means everything's hunky-dory. You're, you're the one saying that, well, because the economy grew in this scenario and because they had freedom, uh, therefore, the economy must be a good governing economy that we can apply to today. Again, forget about the Soviet Union. We live today a hell of a lot better than we did in the 1890s, right? Um, and the 1890s, uh, they lived a less free life than they did uh, 100 years uh, earlier, right? Before, you know, like you said, they have even these basic government apparatuses in place. So, again, I, I don't think that the, the correlation you're drawing is so suspect, right, uh, that I, I think it leads to a lot of... Uh, a lot of pretty poor analysis. I mean, look at a country like Singapore, right? Forget about the Soviet Union. Look at like a country like Singapore that has a a, a hyper, uh, not a hyper, but like an incredible amount of state involvement in the economy. Um, same thing with Taiwan and South Korea and Hong Kong. All the Asian tigers had a shitload of involvement of government in the economy, um, and yet their standard of living grew incredibly. The four Asian tigers, right? I mean, these were under more or less autocratic governments at the time. How is that possible, Dan?
growth is possible when you have government intervention, but the issue is, would it grow even more without it? And I think there well, is the Asian tigers grew a lot so more than Spain, like we've grown since the 1890s means that we wouldn't be better off than uh, it's, it's the broken window fallacy. You know, you don't see the unseen, but the unseen is it, it, it could actually exist if you, if you allow things to go a different way. So um, I think we would be much better off. And I think there's good reason to think we would be much better off based on what we did see in the 19th century when we did have freedom. And extrapolate from that. I think that's a reasonable thing to do. Well, right. But would you say that there have been more free societies than in the late 19th century in America? I mean, certainly you'd have to agree with that, right? That there are more free societies than late 19th century America? Yeah. I mean, there, no, you know, no, you I described said, I said, when I think that might have been the freest example in history. You think we you think we were more free then than, you know, under the when, when the US government first began in 1776 and all that stuff? We, we Yeah, there was more slavery free? then. Well, yeah, yeah, but I'm talking about the governing economy sort of broadly, right? So like uh, you could say that there was slavery, obviously that's one thing, but I guess if we forget about pre-18 uh, you know pre uh, slavery days, uh, let's talk about other societies of, you know, of today, right? Um uh, if you were to compare our growth at that time that you're describing with societies that have less of a governing apparatus than that, right? I mean, did they grow faster or slower? I mean, you tell me. Societies that had less of a governing apparatus than the late 19th century? Yeah. I don't know I if mean, that there were any. You don't think there was any society with a weaker government or less general government involvement in the economy than that time in American history? I mean, if you're talking about anarchy, like the Latin <laughs> American economies, that. stuff like that, you know, these. What was that? Like the Latin American economies of the time and they have, Southeast Asia. Uh, down there? I don't know the Latin American history very well, but I, uh, I mean, from my kind of vague knowledge <laughs> I mean, of it, I wouldn't say it was as free as the late 19th century well, in America. The, in the 1890s, I'm not sure that America, you could call America like a full democracy either. I mean, you know, women didn't have the right to vote and. There was certainly still a lot of Well, issues. I don't consider democracy to be synonymous with freedom. As I said before, I think if you have a system of well, then why why do you can, why do you rule, consider if you, if you don't consider democracy synonymous with freedom, I'm not sure why dictatorship would necessarily be like not synonymous with freedom, right? I mean, we could imagine a scenario where you've got like one party rule or a scenario where you've got uh, issues with uh, maybe government autocracy. But then people might live sort of free liberal lives. Just a matter of who you know runs some amount of the corporate treasury, right? I mean, uh, doesn't that make sense? If a dictator can tell you what to do and like say, you know, I dictate that you must give fifty, eighty percent of your income to the government, and if you don't, you're going to jail. That's not freedom. That's not respecting people's rights to what they right. Earn. So it's that's, it sounds like you need so no, that's not democracy in order to have freedom. <laughs> That's no democracy is not freedom if it okay, means whatever okay, the majority Dan, wants goes. You're saying, okay, Dan, you just said a dictator cannot necessarily rule a free society because the dictator, and that's not an un, it's not an unreasonable thing what you just said. A dictator could not rule a, 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 a free society because ultimately the dictator could take away those freedoms anytime they want. It's precarious, right? So, therefore, we can't just have one person running shit probably need a lot more people, right? And those people probably need to be accountable to the people they actually govern, which sounds to me like democracy. So that's why I'm trying to make the jump to say that 
you know, you you might actually need democratic institutions and structures in order to guarantee freedom. I don't think that's an unreasonable statement I'm making. Well, that's why I define democracy as unlimited majority rule. I said, if that's what you mean by democracy, then I oppose that because I don't think the majority should get to dictate anything they want to the minority. Well, but Dan, if, no, if nobody, nobody believe nobody ad. Nobody generally advocates for a complete majoritarian, you know, direct democracy, right? I mean, we're, we're t obviously we're talking about representative democracies with checks and balances. That's the system that we live under today. No, we, we have a system where, uh, you know, sometimes there's ballot initiatives in certain states, for instance, where, <laughs> eh, you know, if, if it passes, you know, majority votes to have some real estate you, tax you, or whatever, you, you, then now you that's think that law. because. Okay, Dan, you think that because some states have direct referenda, we couldn't, you think because of that, we couldn't be considered a democracy? We're a democracy in a certain sense, yeah, but not in an unlimited majority rule sense. That's right. all I'm saying. And that's, that's what I'm, we have the, the again, the freedom that you, the, the anti-freedom democracy that you describe, that's not the system that we live under. The anti-freedom democracy. We have an element of that. We do have certain, like the referenda I'm talking about. I think that's an example of it. Yeah, you're gonna and have not to everything is like that. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm I'm trying desperately here to find GDP growth all the way back to the 1800s. I just can't find that. Maybe you can point me to where you found that statistic from. I, it exists somewhere. I just can't find it quickly. Um, but. Anyway, look, the point, the point that I'm trying to make here is just that I don't think it's reasonable to say that because we grew as an economy back then, right, therefore the government must have been doing something really great. Again, they had banking crises all the time. People were impoverished. There was more crime and poverty back then than there is today um, as a sort of proportion of the population. Obviously, poor people today live a much better and less precarious life than poor people in the 1890s, right? Um, you know, I'm not sure how we could reasonably argue against that. And so my only point is just to say that if we, if we use those same metrics, um, then, you know, the system that we have today would certainly be pretty advantageous, right? I mean, that's, uh, that's the point. The fact that people who are poor today, poor in quotes, because, you know, poor people today live richer than kings did five centuries ago, that's have more point. than they did a century ago, doesn't mean that today's system is better uh, than the system of a century ago, because, you know, if we're growing at a snail's pace or a snail's pace compared to what it could be, uh, cheetah's pace, um, then that's not an argument for the system that we have today. What I would like to see is the rate of growth that we had in the late 19th century, where you had these huge innovations, automobile, airplane. I want to see flying cars by now. We don't have that. I think we, we would likely have that, or at least much closer to that. If we had the system of governance that we had in the late 19th century. Oh, man, I don't know, Dan. I just found this. I don't even know if you're right about the economic growth. It looks like it looks like from in terms of real GDP per capita growth, it looks like in the eight from 19 from 1870 to 1913, the average annual rate of growth was 1.82 percent. Uh, but the period from 19 73 to 1998 was about two and a quarter percent. So it sounds like you're not even, that's not even correct, the statistics you're, you're labeling, or the, 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 the assumptions you're making. We grew faster, well, it seems I, like I, we grew faster I, after that period than before. I, I'm, uh, I'm suspicious of that, but, um, you know, I'm not an economist, so I don't have these numbers at my <laughs> fingertips. Come on, it's Dan. Just... 
It's Come a general on. knowledge of history. General knowledge of history. Well, your your general your general. Well, I don't know what general knowledge of history you were using to make that confirmation. I mean, I, I just all the I, inventions, I, all the inventions. It was it's Dan. It's there's called, a, there's a ton of inventions. We have the telephone and the internet. There's way more important inventions. We have got the nuclear yeah, bomb. Yeah, but I think we would I have mean, a lot more inventions if we had that uh, sort. Dan, of are you trolling me, Dan? Has this been a troll this whole time? Are you getting my trying to get my no, ghost? Or, no, why do you think I'm trolling you? You just sounded a little giggly there. It's making me nervous. Have I been trolled? Uh, you, you can you can decide. Oh, God. I, I'm being I'm always I'm always good faith. Um, if if you don't think that, uh, uh, well, that's that's your judgment to make. But the, gi I, the giggles I, I, the giggles I, made me nervous. Look, okay, the point is is just that. I, it, it appears the economic growth of the 1800s wasn't actually better than the economic growth of today. Um, based on numbers be, you just cited, is that is that I, all? Based based on the statistics that I was able to, I mean, apparently you don't apparently you don't even have any statistics. Apparently your whole argument, I didn't I didn't realize this. I thought you were saying there was some numbers you were basing this off of. You were just saying, well, there's a lot of inventions in the 1890s. Which I mean, what the hell, Dan? There's no, I, there's I think obviously. I, I, I think I numbers i just don't remember i mean i as i said i'm not an economist so i don't have like all these numbers memorized or at my fingertips but i think i have seen I, just, um, I don't know my advice uh, my my advice would be that if if you're gonna if you're gonna talk about i mean the implication there's huge economic and standard of living implications to your system you you have to engage in the numbers and the economics to advocate for such a system and if you don't do that then i i how can i you recommended a book about the economy you hadn't even read apparently you're not even familiar with the numbers of the time which to be fair i wasn't i just looked them up i thought you were that's why i was trying to look them up to confirm what you're saying i mean come on it says it even says here that in the uh uh oh i'm, I'm sorry I, it was a different year that i was reading um but anyway the, the point is just to say that these are huge gaps in um in your knowledge that I, I assumed you would have if you're if you're advocating for these things you're, you're advocating for something that would greatly shift yeah. the governing there's, economy there's different ways to advocate for something or argue for something there's philosophical style arguments there's historical arguments there's economic arguments i'm more familiar with the philosophy philosophical sort of arguments and Right. That yeah, but Dan, general but, knowledge of history. So yeah, but Dan, I, I don't that's, claim that's to be where... omniscient here, but I don't think that means uh, you know because I don't know about a certain field that doesn't mean I can't say anything about it. No, I, I'm not making that. My argument is just my argument. Uh, and I'll go back to it. Is that it appears you're trying to have your cake and eat it too, which is to say that if you were if you were to come in and say, hey, look, I don't care about the standard of living. I don't care about um, the, 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 the potential economic issues. I don't care about the fact that people might have to shop around a lot more and might have a lot of products that don't work and stuff like that. Or, you know, they might have a doctor that's a fraudster or whatever it is. I don't care about that. I might even concede those things are true. However, my argument's more philosophical. It's a moral argument. If you'd said that we wouldn't have had this, you know, this whole last hour of our discussion wouldn't have been necessary, but it seems like you're trying to have your cake and eat it too. And eating it too is, well, I'm recommending books I haven't read and the numbers don't really match with my narrative. And now I'm going back to a vague notion of, you know, uh, inventions that have happened, which to me don't make any sense. And well, okay, well, we would have had more inventions today if, if we had governed back then, but I don't have any actual economic reason to think that. I mean, it's just, you can see that, I mean, do you see the the problems I'm having no, here? The, I, mean, uh, I think the, I, I don't think that's a... Um, I think you're making my argument sound weaker than it is. 
Um, well, I mean, there's I, there's other I, I sorts of arguments I could give, like uh, which if your argument seems, I feel like I feel like it was charitable. What I just, if your argument seems weak based on what I just said, I mean, that seems like a moment of self reflection. I I don't, I didn't. Uh, I feel like I I summarized the argument pretty decently just there. I mean, I think. Um, so, I mean, I grant there, I've got a lot more I could uh, look into and learn to make a better argument, but I don't, I don't think that my argument is like totally uh, vacuous and not based on anything. Um, I, I mean, if that's, if that's what you're trying to portray it as, I don't think that's, that's accurate. Um, so no, I can. I I'm not saying I'm not I'm not saying it's not based on anything. Obviously, you you you've just let the cat out of the bag here, which is to say that, you know, your argument is based. You could say fundamentally on, you know, f philosophy and morality, right? Which is and not history. unreasonable. So do well, you think appar appar apparently his apparently history that isn't actually true based on the numbers, right? But so, I mean, the the U.S. is like the richest country in the history of the world, or at least close to that, I would think. I mean, is that is that not a historical fact which lends some plausibility to my line of argument? And the no, U.S. It, it is a system that has come closest to approximating the sort of government that I believe in. Um. Is, well, is there nothing no. there? Well, no, because the the type of government I I don't I don't okay. Um, apologies. The government in the eighteen if, if if you're saying the government of the eighteen nineties is the government that you like the best, I'm not gonna disagree with you. That's your preference, right? Obviously, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna disagree with you there. Um, my only point was to say that um, if you're making the argument that that society was economically better than the society that we've had in sort of the postmodern era that's not that's not true based on the numbers it's not true the, the u.s wasn't even an economic superpower in in the, the time that you're describing right Let, i mean let's the u.s take even broader let's take an even broader perspective let's just try the u.s all right let's whole. broaden let's it out particular areas forget about the it. u.s the u.s has done phenomenally well and it's also the country that i think has come close it's done phenomenally well economically it's also the closest sure. in history, I think, uh, to the sort of governments I advocate. So okay. there, how, how about that for a historical-based uh, uh, argument for my system? I, yeah, I, I, I think that, yeah, I, I think that the U.S. has done great, right? I, I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, I think that the U.S. economy is amazing. I don't know if I would... Um, you know, I th there's improvements in my mind, and apparently there's improvements in your mind as well that we would make on the modern U.S. economy. Um, but you know, but I guess the difference is that I don't think the U.S. economy has ever been nearly perfect. I think there's always been a lot of room for improvement with the U.S. economy, whereas you're saying in the 19th, uh, late 19th century, it was uh, close to perfection, which I don't agree with. There was a lot of problems with that economy, and apparently it was worse than the economy we have today. Um, there's a lot more people destitute and in poverty. I mean, these are the things that I care about, and... Um, you know, I, I don't, uh, that's just, that's ridiculous, the, the types of conclusions you're drawing uh, from that, I think, uh, in my view. So the, I mean, you're, you're citing the poverty of the, the late 19th century, and you're saying that's worse than today. But I mean, that, that's just an accident of time, isn't it? I mean, people of caveman days are more poor than the people of the late 19th century. But that's not to say there was 
something wrong with the people with the caveman day. They were just earlier in time. I think what matters is what gets them out of it, what allows them to progress. And what allows people to progress, progress the fastest, I think, is a system of liberty. So yeah, I, I, you, you mentioned again, I, I don't this, this thing about relative poverty, but I, I just don't think it, it establishes what you're taking it to establish. No, I'm not. I'm not against liberty. We just have different notions of liberty, right? That's that's all that I'm okay. trying to point well, out I, here. I yeah, mean, I, 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 don't, I, don't, uh, I don't. That goes back no, to the idea of what does liberty mean and what well, does yeah, coercion yeah, yeah. mean. I mean, it just when appears... you say you're not against liberty, I think you actually are against liberty to significant. No, extent. I, I, yeah, I'm not. I don't. I don't. I, I think that the reality is that's my my policies. Yeah. My my policies allow people to do as they would otherwise want to do. Um, more than your policies, in my opinion, right? Um, and I think that, okay. uh, that, you know, to me, that's that's what I'd advocate for. You know, I, liberty to me is being able to do possibly what you want, right? Um, and no, I, I, well, I don't agree with that. I, I understand I, you don't, I but I'm, be I'm able just to fly. Therefore, I can't, I don't have wings, so I can't fly. Therefore, I'm not free. I, I don't have well, liberty because no, I can't no, fly no. like a bird. Well, no, no, because obviously when we're talking about governing philosophies, right, which, you know, it seems like we're, we've been talking about the role of the government this whole time, right? Obviously, the government cannot uh, give you the sort of organic ability to fly. Now, you can get on an airplane and, you know, fly through the air if you want. You can strap on a paramotor if you want, right? But um, that's a little bit different from being able to just, you know, fly like a superhero or something like that. Um you know, so that's not really what we're talking about. What we're talking about is 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 the ability to you know go about and do what you can within the obviously the limitations of your own body, um, and and go from there, right? And to me, the the systems by which I advocate, which is you know a transparent, democratically accountable government that's you know robust in its institutions that's built over time, uh, and a strong governing economy which includes market mechanisms and also. Uh, redistribution to the extent that income inequality is within reason. Um, wealthy people can be wealthy, but poor people aren't totally destitute. I mean, th these are the types of systems that I think uh, encourage entrepreneurship and mobility and, you know, uh, th things like that. Whereas I think that your system does the opposite. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think the system you're advocating is, is it's certainly not consistent, consistently pro-liberty. If you say, you know, there can be like income inequality within reason, is that within your reason? What, whatever you, Econo Boy, are, are okay with. But, you know, if it goes beyond what Econo Boy is okay with or what a majority of people are okay with, then we're no, just not going to let that happen. It's, it's within collective reason under a governing and, you know, uh, under a democratic governing apparatus with checks and balances and probably with a constitution as well that prevents you from overreaching, right? I mean, these this is the framework that we've uh, operated under basically since the U.S. started, right? And we've only sort of grown in the amount of social spending that we've done over since then. And, you know, we've seen real decreases uh, in the amount of precariousness and sort of uh, impoverishment that people have faced, right? Social Security, Medicare, um, you know, food stamps, things like that. I mean, it's a good thing that our society can uh, afford to do that kind of stuff. And it can afford to do that kind of stuff with market mechanisms, people being entrepreneurs and going out there and starting businesses. And I think that the better environment uh, to start a business and to be an entrepreneur and to be an inventor is an environment where you don't constantly have the the the, the wall of poverty and homelessness and hunger uh, at your back. Well, I think not having force at your back, not having a gun pointed at you all the time is it's what's conducive to uh, prosperity and not being in poverty. Now, that's you don't have a, a gun pointed all the time when you're in my society. <laughs> you do, actually. If you favor taxing people, you know, there's 
there's there's a gun behind all those taxes. All your regulations, they've got a gun behind them. So yes, there is a gun. Well, no, you you don't pay taxes if you don't work, right? So obviously there's many, you know, if you're an entrepreneur who's tooling around in your garage trying to come up with that next great invention, you're not paying any taxes. And if you're a business that's not profitable uh, to the extent that you're not marketing your product for a profit because you can't, you're also not taxed, right? So it's, you, it's, you shouldn't uh, have to uh, not work in order to not be taxed. You should be able to work and keep the results of your work. I just you said be you able can to keep you, the results of your effort. I just said you can work and not be taxed. Corp corporations don't pay taxes if they run at a loss, um, and you don't pay taxes even if you're making a profit, if you're investing or if you're uh, having a carried forward loss. So I mean, there's many circumstances where entities don't pay taxes even though they're operating perfectly efficiently so i mean there's there's room for that in the system however you're right in the sense that if you're running out of profit or you take a personal income um you're going to pay some of that into the system and part of that goes towards welfare that helps people uh climb out of poverty uh which i think is good you know when you yeah, bring that's people a gun. out that's of a gun pointed at the people which you said okay, you weren't doing right. but you are it's, doing that it's it's an opportunity for the people who are on those programs to get out of poverty and to contribute to society yeah, in a way that they weren't otherwise able to. By pointing a gun at them and taking away their money, that gives you more. Not, an, not an opportunity for it's yourself. It's like a mugger gets more opportunities when he goes up to someone on the not, street and points a gun at not them. Not an opportunity. All kinds of more opportunity. Not an opportunity for yourself. But it's not an just. opportunity. That's not no, no. just. Dan, you're you're interrupting me because the example is getting more ridiculous. Not an opportunity for yourself. An opportunity for all of those people who were born into less than advantageous circumstances. I mean, again, I think that that's a lot different than holding a gun to your head and, and asking for your wallet. Again, you have a say in how much taxes you pay collectively. Um, and to the extent that you're out there and voting and to the extent that your policies are, uh, you know, agreeable to most people, I mean, you know, that's where your, your policies are going to be enacted. You know? So it I think that that's to be agreeable to different. most people to keep what I earn. You shouldn't be able to get a bunch of people together and vote away someone else's property, what they've earned. Well, right, but un under your system, under your system, I've donated to a military that you might not agree with. Now you're governed under the same military and police apparatus, even though I didn't donate to them. That's ridiculous, Dan. You're coercing me. Wait, say that again. I didn't follow. Under that. under under your system that is funded by voluntary donations and whatnot. I am governed under the same police and court and military apparatus, even though I didn't donate to them. Yeah, and they're not forcing you. They're protecting Wait. people from force. Wait, but I don't I don't agree to abide by those those by that force. I don't agree to live under that apparatus. They're not forcing you. They're only using force in retaliation. They're not initiating force. That's the difference between them and a criminal. Right, but when, when you have when, a when you have a vague notion of fraud in a system in a in a it's situation not a vague where notion of fraud. You it is a vague notion of fraud because you, know, you haven't actually Well, yeah, okay, go well tell me why it's vague. Well, because again, you're you're not def you're not defining in each individual circumstance what fraud is and isn't, right? Fraud obviously can be different depending on who you ask, right? There, what, I'm not defining it. What, I mean, there's there's a, what is there's, what is what is fraud like, in your opinion? It's, it's like uh, the non-consensual thing we were talking about before. You, when you misrepresent um, the the goods that you're exchanging with someone, that's a form of fraud. Like if you mislabel something uh, on a food and you say it's only 10 calories per serving when it's actually 100. And someone right, gives yeah, you money sure. on the condition that they think they're getting only 10 calories per serving, then yeah, uh, let, let, they're getting engaged in fraud. 
let's say I market a pill and I say it works. I've tried it on a hundred people and it worked for them, but then, you know, you take it and all of a sudden you get cancer and you almost die. Is that, have I committed fraud? Depends what you've said relative I, to I, what I, you know I said, is true. I said the pill works and a hundred people took it and it worked for them and it'll cure you as well. Have if I committed you, fraud? Uh, I don't know. Not necessarily. I mean, if you're just reporting <laughs> like it's worked <laughs> on a bunch of people, you're not that's, saying it's worked at a certain rate or it's going to work for everyone. Yeah. You know, that's, this is part of being a responsible adult. You can't just mindlessly you know, grab everything off the shelf. You have to think about something or maybe look at a brand to get back right. to the thing you're talking about and, before. And so and that can when be I done said, entirely privately. When I said that you're putting the onus on the victim, uh, that's what I meant. I just think that, that uh, that's, that's not advantageous, right? Again, I, I think that there's, there's real, there's real the increases. Yeah, because you're, you're basically saying that, well, you know, this person made a good faith effort to test the product and put it out there. And what you're saying is, well, that person who took that pill is a fucking idiot because they should have shopped around a bunch and, you know, not trusted your product, right? Um, and that's where I think uh, you end up with, you know, some, we could say victim blaming, well, but just we basically some... fraud, whether fraud was committed. Right, and what I you think, said uh... in response to the scenario, what you said in response to the scenario was... This guy should have shopped around more. He shouldn't have trusted this guy. Which, I mean, I don't know. I, said, seems, uh... I think I said, like, maybe. I mean, it depends exactly what was said relative to what was uh, <laughs> so, promised. Or, maybe. wait, that doesn't uh, make sense. It didn't. You basically, you can't lie. You can't lie to people. That's what fraud is. If you're lying and misrepresenting your product, that's fraud. And, and I don't... I, you said it was vague. I had some vague notion of fraud. I don't... Well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it. when, when Bill Clinton... When Bill Clinton said he didn't have a sexual relationship with Monica Lewinsky because he felt like oral sex wasn't real sex, right? Would we say he's lying? It's like, well, any reasonable person might say he was lying, but I mean, uh, well, if he genuinely did have a different definition for what sex was, I mean, could we call that a lie? It's just vague. My point is that you need these governing go these governing apparatuses to, uh, to 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 come in in a third party sense and try and determine these things and hopefully create rules and regulations so that they don't happen in the future. Because a lot of those people, again, you're leaving all those people on the hook along the way. Um, and that's only when we're, when we're talking about sort of selling a product. We haven't even really talked about all the people that are born into terrible circumstances that are left behind in your system. Uh, but, you know, if, no, if they're not assume... necessarily left behind, there are things like private charity. There's charity even today, even though a lot of people have to give a lot of their money to taxes. They would have well, a, a lot you know, more money to help out with. And there would be much less need for charity because I think people would be so much better off in my society. Well, like, I, I don't I don't think, uh, we, you know, we've had, ca we've had tax cuts before and we've also had, you know, systems with very, very, very little taxation before. Um, and we still see a lot more poverty uh, in those systems uh, without those taxes and with them, right? And I, I think that that's where the empirics kind of Again, you're trying to have your cake and eat it too. I'd, I'd prefer you just to say like, yeah, a lot more people will be in poverty, but at least they're, you know, at least we have my notion of freedom in my society. That would make more sense to me. But, you know, you're trying to say that, you know, without welfare, we'd have a lot more charity and, you know, people would be a lot more prosperous sort of generically because they'd be a lot more free. And it's like, I don't know, we, you know, apparently we had that almost perfect free society in the 19th, late 19th century when growth was lower than it was today. And when a lot more people were in poverty and had a lot more destitution, I mean... I, I don't, I don't buy know. the growth was lower. I mean, you can cite your economic numbers, but I, I don't. I don't uh, know that those are the only studies. Well, hey, first you know, you, you said you you said and you make a, take a historical. I don't know that those are the most relevant studies. 
Well, you said you take a historical analysis, and this is from the Economic History Association. So, I mean, hopefully you take their word for it at least a little bit. Um, but if you it's don't, that's fine. Economic numbers. I mean, there's there's general knowledge of history. Um, like I was saying, all the inventions, the the uh, the car. Got a lot of inventions today, though. All that stuff. But I, I think that the rate of those sorts of epical uh, sorts of changes was plausibly greater. Uh, back All right. Then. I don't know, Dan. I don't think we're going to get much farther in here. We've been going almost two hours. Oh, can I say if... one more thing? Just one more yeah, thing? go for it. One more thing. Let's do it. Um, the the really deep philosophical sort of reason for thinking that things are better when you have freedom is because the mind needs freedom in order to function. The mind doesn't function under force, and the mind is what creates values. So, you know, the entire scientific revolution is a product of the human mind reasoning. Um, and when you s subject the mind to force, you prevent it from functioning. You, you penalize and negate the mind. That's a phrase that uh, Ayn Rand uses sometimes. And when you paralyze and negate the mind, the mind can no longer produce wealth. And that's, you know, that, that causes uh, people to be less well off. So that's a very philosophical sort of reason, which I think underpins the sort of reason or underpins the historical facts. The reason why you see historical societies doing better when they have freedom is because it allows the human mind, which is the source of wealth, to function. All right. Well, Dan, it was good talking to you. Do you want to tell people where they can find you? If you've got a channel or something like that, go ahead and post it in the chat if you want, and uh, we can uh, hang up after that. Okay. Um, yeah. So my YouTube channel is youtube.com slash Dan Norton one. I'm also on Twitter and at Dan Norton one, one, one. And I guess those are the, uh, two or at least two good places to find me. And, uh, thank you for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was really good talking to you, Dan. I had a good time. Uh, it was good talking. And if you ever want to come on again, just hit me up. All right. Thanks a lot.